Hello, I'm Zeb Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, bold solutions, and a renewed sense of meaning and purpose in their journey to advance patient-centered, consumer-oriented, value-based healthcare. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization that I may be affiliated with. Folks, uh, before we jump into today's topic, which I am so excited about um, and, and, and particularly excited about uh, the person we're going to be speaking with, before we do that, I, I have a favor to ask of you, and I've not done this before. I am uh, I'm receiving an increasing number of emails from folks who are thanking me for the podcast, and I'm unbelievably, incredibly grateful and humbled by that. But it's made me uh, think about this question, and so I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to uh, email me at, at my Gmail account, znewworth at gmail.com, znewworth at gmail.com, newworth is spelled N-E-U-W-I-R-T-H. And I'm going to ask you this question, and, and, and I'd like you to respond to me, which is I'm very, very curious as to what you're getting out of this podcast. What is the value that it brings to you? Um, how does it make you feel? What, what does it do for you? Uh, you know, Clayton Christensen from the Harvard Business School talks about uh, customers having a job to be done. And uh, if, uh, if something brings value, gets that job done. So on what level is this doing something for you? And um, I, I, I am really, really curious to know, and I would so appreciate you taking a moment to email me and, and uh, give me a better understanding of that in service of just, you know, making this podcast even, even better uh, for you. And so again, grateful for your emails, grateful for the reach outs and the call outs and, um, and particularly grateful that the audience is growing. So thank you. So let's jump in today. Our discussion today is going to focus on the care of people uh, with complex chronic medical needs. Um, it is a, a great example of how to solve one of the most challenging uh, uh, sets of problems and issues in healthcare and in our society today, care of the older, sicker, and poorer population um, and, uh, and folks, honestly, uh, I, I have just been inspired by the work we're going to be, uh, 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 speaking to today. And so we are so incredibly fortunate to have a guest on our show, uh, Dr. Chris Chen. He is the CEO of Chen Med, which is a innovative physician practice that aims to be, uh, America's leading primary care provider, transforming care for the neediest of populations. Uh, Chris has served as CEO, uh, since 2009. He's led the company through tremendous, tremendous growth, over 400% growth, uh, while maintaining, uh, industry leading quality metrics and health outcomes metrics. Uh, Chen Med started and is a family run, uh, risk model medical practice. Started out with four practices in, in, in Florida, and, and now it's multi-state and dozens of practices. Um, the company has received accolades and recognition from the White House, the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, uh, England's National Health Service. They've been published in Health Affairs, Forbes, The Economist, The Guardian, Medical Economics, um, it's, uh, they've really, really positioned themselves with multiple brands, and I'll let uh, Dr. Chen tell us more about that. Dr. Chen himself is a uh, practicing board-certified cardiologist. He graduated from the University of Miami's Honors Program in Medicine, um, and he uh, trained at the Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital, a, a major Harvard uh, affiliate university teaching hospital in Boston, and then he did further training at Cornell University Medical College in Manhattan, New York. As as I recall, he's actually has multiple boards in cardiology. Uh, he's an amazing physician and an amazing leader. Uh, on a more personal note, uh, I've had uh, the incredible good fortune of having the opportunity to meet with Chris face to face. I flew down to Florida. I think it was probably about three or four years ago, I was doing research on complex chronic care medical homes and uh, was attempting to either build them or, or buy them for our group. And I got to spend uh, a full day with Chris and his colleagues down there. And we've spoken many times since there, since then. 
Um, and, and you know, I, I have to say this. He is um, not only is he just a, a brilliant across the board, he's got tremendous integrity, uh, a, a sense of mission that I have rarely come across. Um, he and his story and what he's doing is one of the best examples I've come across of really kind of reframing healthcare. Um, and, and I'll say something which um, not even Chris uh, is aware of. Uh, I interviewed him probably, I think, uh, initially about a year or so ago for some writing I was doing. And it was actually the interview with Chris Chen, which made me think that maybe I should share these interviews. So, um, so it was Chris Chen's interview that really made me think that I should launch a podcast. And so, uh, so without further ado, I just want to say, Chris, I, uh, it's, it's such a privilege and a pleasure to have you on this podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Zav. Thank you so much for uh, this opportunity. And it's a great privilege to have an opportunity to talk about, you know, as this country makes this transition, um, from a you know more of a transactional task-based healthcare system to one that is really uh, you know can drive us in getting better results uh, for our people. Um, you know, it's just exciting to see how it takes form, and and these conversations where um, we can push the thinking are just really valuable for folks. Yeah, well, for sure. You you know the conversations I've had with you, you've really uh, stretched my thinking, and 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 um, and that's why I really was um, so happy that we could you know get you on on the program today and and share your thoughts. So let's jump in, Chris. Um, and I know you I, you have a little bit of a sore throat today, and so uh, so again, I really appreciate you 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 hanging in there. Um, so so. Let me start by asking you, and you started to to allude to it even a moment ago. What what do you see? Why are you doing what you're doing? What what is the the, the problem in healthcare? Some of the fundamental problems that you feel you know you're filling the gap for. Well, you know, our vision really has um, two major tenets to it: um, to be America's leading primary care provider, and that's the first part. And there's uh, you know several stakes in the ground that we put. When, um, when we talk about being America's leading primary care provider. And the second part of it is transforming care of the neediest populations. And, and so let me, let me just start with the first part. You know, I, one of the things that we realize is that, uh, you know, healthcare in this country doesn't work particularly well, um, compared to other, um, highly, you know, um, effective countries and, and, you know, I would say other countries with uh, healthcare systems that are relatively on par with what we would think in this country, um, we pay significantly more for it. Um, but recent data suggests that in terms of health outcomes, our populations, um, uh, in terms of how we're doing with our populations, we don't even place in the top 30. And so that, that, that is a challenge. And, and one of the things that we've begun to realize is for some reason, um, you know, they, as a, a physicians and particularly primary care doesn't always have a seat at the table in having those discussions. And so we did something rather different than, than most, uh, you know, than most organizations. What we decided to do is say, hey, can, can a group of physicians come together and, and start to lead the thinking and the, and the progress in which, um, you know, in which we can deliver um, better results um, for the American people at a lower cost. And so putting a stake in the ground and saying to be America's leading primary care provider says two things. Number one, we are a group of physicians that are going to go and try and, and accomplish this. And number two, um, unlike large systems who have decided to really focus on subspecialty services, as their primary um, sort of leaders, if you will, um, we're doing this through primary care. So, you know, you spend a lot of time talking about, hey, Chris, you have this great background in cardiology. And when folks say, hey, you know, Chris, I heard you're a doctor. Tell me, tell me what you do. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a primary care physician that happens to know a lot about cardiology. You know, the second part of, uh, of our vision um, is about transforming care of the neediest populations. And, and, and that is a very simple simple uh, stake in the ground that says we are going to go after social justice. Um, there's an outcry in, in these neighborhoods um, that, that says people who often need the care the most 
don't have access to it. And if you want to find out where people really want to build hospitals and build large care facilities and, and are going to be investing in beds and, and ancillary services, you'll find that they're building in neighborhoods where you find young, commercial-paying, healthy uh, individuals. And so we said, well, you know, we're going to do exactly the opposite. Um, we are going to go after the old, the poor, and the sick. Because if you look at demographic research, there are, um, and you look at how health outcomes correlate with certain zip codes, there are zip codes and counties in this country today in which the life expectancy is 20 years higher than in other counties in this exact same great country. And, 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 and that just can't be. So what we decided to do is, hey, what we're going to do is a group of physicians that our primary care physicians are going to go deep into these neighborhoods, into these, um, into the place where you can find the old, the poor, and the sick. And that's where we're going to start and, and transform care of this population. And that's essentially what we've done. So, so uh, Chris, there's so many questions. I, 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 but the first one is, why? 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 Why did you and your family decide to do that? Is it uh, and, and you know, again, and, and how were you thinking you were going to be able to make a living doing that? Uh, excellent. So, you know, it, you know it, it, the, the number one thing that my, my dad uh, taught me as I was growing up was, uh, Chris, if you want to make a good living, you don't go after making a good living. Do the right things and the money will come. Do the right things and the money will come and apply all of your effort into that. And, you know, as a, it, this is this concept of just delayed gratification. And by the way, that's a perfect corollary to, you know, making this transition from fee for service into value where, you know, you pull a lever, you get a cookie, you pull a lever, you get a cookie, you pull a lever, you get a cookie to saying, wait, 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 wait. Why don't you pull the lever a bunch of times? But if you do the right thing and the right levers, eventually, in the future, you will get um, something really, really beautiful, and you'll be really proud of it. It's a fundamental shift. And so as my dad was teaching me these skills, you know, well, well why did we decide to go after the old, the poor, the sick? Um, there, there are two reasons. Um, my dad, uh, you know, he uh, has uh, far more degrees than I do, right? He was the number one ranked student in the country of Taiwan, uh, has a master's degree from Washington University, a PhD from in biochemistry in another top university, and of course, when he got his medical degree. And, and, and what's interesting is, is, you know, God has put us through a certain set of circumstances and allowed us to experience things that have really benefited us. So I'll give you two examples. The first thing is we've had the opportunity to experience true poverty. Um, when we first moved down to Miami, a certain set of circumstances led to us declaring bankruptcy and, and actually becoming homeless as a family at one point. Uh, we grew up in, uh, in Liberty City for the, in the first roughly decade of my life. We were you know, in, 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 in Miami during some of the most difficult times. Um, and it's, you know, the, I would say the, the early 80s, if you will, um, and all the, you know, the, the hard stories that you heard about Miami, we were living down there during the time, homeless, um, on food stamps for some period of time. And so we had an opportunity to feel what it feels like to experience true poverty. Um, even today, we still uh, you know, spend time in, in doing that in what I call local mission work, and also we do that in Nicaragua, which is the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So that way we can continue to keep our close bond with uh, and, and, and feel and understand poverty. So that's the one thing. The second thing is, um, you know, when I was doing my fellowship in Cornell, my mom calls me and says, Chris, come home, take care of your home, your family. I said, what happened? Because your dad has two months left to live. They found a big tumor in his head. Now, uh, you know, thank God, I mean, actually out of a miracle, um, the tumor was actually some rare form of a tumor that was potentially treatable, and he's alive with us today. But that allowed us to experience healthcare as a patient and understand how complex healthcare is and the simple fact that there's nobody out there who is truly accountable for the, the, the end result. There's nobody accountable. And so that, that really gave us this, this enormous, uh, um, this enormous sort of um, inner force that said we need to go out and we have to do something about that. 
And that's what led to TechMed today. Wow, Chris, I, I was not, um, even though we've talked many, many times, I wasn't aware that you, you grew up under those circumstances. And um, that's, uh, you know, still it's, you know, people, a lot of people grow up poor and, and then, you know, make it um, and don't give back. But you, you, you and your family clearly uh, are focused on that for, for, you know, lots of reasons. What, uh, God, what, um, how many, and I know you do multiple missions a year. How many missions do you do a year? What, I mean, well, you know, you know, first of all, the way that we see what we do here, um, in, in, you know, in, and let's call it in the United States, it, it is actually a, we see it as a mission. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and what we do is we're going into the neighborhoods and we're fundamentally trying to change care. And, and, and the concept behind it is this, is you have a, a large number of people in which their primary care physician is the local county uh, hospital emergency room. Um, what my friends would call the gun and the knife clubs. Um, you know, I did my medical school down at Jackson Memorial Hospital, right? And you have a real opportunity to know what a gun and a knife club is. And actually, there's a third category, which is um, person or pedestrian hit by car, right? Or hit by vehicle. I remember getting those uh, getting those texts coming in through my beeper uh, when we had a rush over to the trauma center. But that's basically what you see a lot of that. And so that, that is our sort of, you know, our mission is to go in and take care of those folks. And the way that we do it is we say, you know what? Rather than taking care of them, through the, you know, the local county hospital emergency room. If you can take these individuals who, uh, you know, 95, 90 to 95% of our patients are within 300% of the federal poverty line, um, over 70% of our patients have five or more major chronic conditions. And if you can take these individuals and you can actually provide them with amazing primary care, frontline primary care, sort of, you know, concierge medicine on steroids, but it's just not enough to give them concierge medicine because you can pair them with physicians that are actually accountable for results. That's the key. It's not enough just to give them concierge medicine on steroids, but it's, but you have to create an environment in which doctors are accountable for health and for results. Then the downstream effect is you can substantially improve their health and then substantially reduce um, you know, uh, hospitalization rates in these extremely expensive catastrophic events. And in that situation, everyone wins. Everyone wins. So that is our primary mission is to say, hey, can we go and can we invest in the old appointments to invest? And then, you know, this concept of fee-for-service where you pull the lever and you get a cookie. Well, we are saying we're going to pull, you know, 50 levers. And then we believe sometime between 6 and 12 or 18 months down the road, the cookie is we can substantially reduce catastrophic events in our patient populations and improve their health and improve their quality of life. So that's our primary sort of mission. And our, and our mission is we honor seniors with affordable VIP care that delivers better health. Now, that is paired up with something that we do overseas, which is, um, unfortunately, we had a trip uh, or we have a trip set up in, in, in Nicaragua where we've typically as a company, we go there about four times a year. Unfortunately, it's unstable there right now. So we're, uh, you know, we're watching it right now and seeing what's happening there. Um, but we've actually partnered with a, a fantastic organization there that is building sort of primary care, the Nicaragua version of that, in which they have 29 locations that goes out and really serves the rural communities uh, of Nicaragua, um, many of which don't even have floors in their homes, right? It's just dirt. Um, and, uh, and, and so uh, to really see that, to feel that, to understand that gives you a completely different perspective, but it also um, is just it's just as rewarding as what we do here in the United States. Right. Well, I, I love your I love your concept of you know the work that you're doing here each and every day is 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 your mission. Um, and um, although you go to Nicaragua, you're, you're doing your mission here every day. Let me ask you a question because you talk about um, this concierge like VIP service for the you know low moderate income uh, folks with complex chronic conditions. So what, how is what you do at ChenMed different 
than what a typical primary care physician would do, either in an in independent practice or in a large integrated delivery network. How, what is from a patient's experience, what is the difference, uh, different offering service value proposition outcomes? Um, and, and then I want to get into, um, and you and I've talked about this quite a bit in the past, you know, how, how you do it in terms of who you hire and how you train them and, and all the, all the, and the supports you put around them. But, but what is the patient experience like? What is it different? I mean, how can you say your concierge and, and how is that different than going to see their, a regular doctor? Absolutely. So, you know, if you go back to our mission, it's, we honor seniors and that tells you the population that we're serving with affordable VIP care that delivers better health. So there's two parts of it and affordable VIP care that delivers better health. And I alluded to this before. It's not just the, 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 the high access, the, the service, the, the, the consumer orientation, or, or the, what I call the patient experience orientation, um, or the services, of, the ancillary things that we add on top of that to actually help the physician with the smaller patient panel sizes, which we'll talk about. But it's pairing that with delivering better health. It's the, it's the orientation that, that we want to be accountable for, for delivering better health, not surrogate endpoints like, hey, did you check off this box or did you do this work? Actually delivering better health, and we'll talk about those two things. So let's talk about the first part. What, what is the model? First of all, we believe that you need time. The, the older point is sick with you know, five major medical you know, conditions, and, and they're really poor. And you know, many, Some of them, they're trying to figure out, how do I stop my grandson from stealing our social, my Social Security check? Or, you know, it, 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 people say, well, what are you going to do about the caregivers? And I'm saying, no, our population is a caregiver. They're actually raising wow. children in their house <laughs> and while they're trying to manage their multiple chronic conditions. So, uh, you know, the average patient goes home on 11 medications after a, a heart attack. So you're trying to manage all these medications. Uh, you, you're low income, and then you're taking care of children at the same time. And so, so that's the population that we are serving here. What is our care model? Well, our care model starts with this. Doctors need time. We have, on average, somewhere around a 400 to 1 uh, ratio. We, we actually put online that, you know, the, our, our, our patient to doctor ratio is about 450 is what we, you know, we, you know, we, we look at. But in reality, as we're growing so rapidly, it's closer to 400. Mm -hmm. And so the average, you know, um, patient to doctor ratio in this country is 2,300 to 1. So when you go see your, 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 your primary care doctor, it's a large delivery system. Um, it's, it's, they have 2,299 other patients. Uh, in some of the neighborhoods that we're in, it's not 2,301. It's closer to 3,001 because you know, we tend to go places where there's a great shortage. So we reduce that number by five to six times because of the population that we're serving and they need more time. And then we see patients every month. Um, why? Uh, doctors will come and say, why do I need to see a patient every month? And we say, well... It's, it's not so you can push, you know, specialists and tests and, and pills. It's because we're driving towards better health. So when you're trying to get someone to lose weight, could you imagine a, a health care program that said, hey, come in every six months for, for you know, eight minutes, and, and we're going to help you lose weight? You would never be successful. Right. They see these people every week, in, in sometimes a Weight Watchers, right, or any, any, anywhere you're trying to fundamentally change behavior. So we not only go after traditional care, but we're actually trying to improve health. I have a patient of mine who, oh, goodness, she had 400 pounds on, on heart failure. And, and I put on the right medications for heart failure, and you know a lot about that, and, 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 and sent her to the right doctors. And, and at the end of the day, why does she have heart failure? Because her five foot six body has a heart that's designed to pump blood to somebody who's five foot six but doesn't weigh 400 pounds. So, of course, her heart is going to fail. Well, after all the medications and after all the relationships, I finally discovered, actually, when she brought her daughter in, her daughter comes up to me and says, Dr. Chen, you're the first doctor that actually cared about my mom. I said, well, thank you so much. But can you please tell her that it's not okay to eat a bucket of chicken every night at midnight? Hmm. And, I, and, I, and I said to her, I said, oh, you know, my gosh, we, we talked about your diet. Why didn't she tell me? She goes, well, you didn't ask me what I ate at midnight. That, that kind of information can only happen when you have that close relationship with this trust and you're discussing things other than pills and procedures. 
So, so that's, so that's what we do. And then a lot of our patients, they don't have transportation. So we offer door to doctor transportation for every patient. We offer them specialists on site at the location. Um, so for the key specialists that actually for the geriatric population with chronic diseases they really need. And then we also um, offer pharmacy services. So it doesn't make sense to make an old, poor 16-year-old without transportation to start running all over the town, trying to coordinate their care, trying to look for specialists, look for drugs, you know, different procedures. So we try to bring that all together in one spot. And that's the concierge side. When I mean concierge on steroids, that's what we do. Yeah, no, so, so, so just, I mean, so let me just sum up that picture. So You've got a physician who, instead of seeing typically uh, 2,000 to 3,000 patients, has 400 patients, so can spend a lot more time during the visit, sees the patient much more frequently, um, can really focus, can develop a trusting relationship and create, and I know you've talked to me about this, the whole issue of primary care. We don't do surgery, but what we do is we do influence and the only way to have influence is to create trust. And the only way you can create trust is by spending time and creating relationship. And so that's what you do. And then you wrap the doctor and, and have the, the support around them in terms of having uh, specialists on site um, uh, so that the patient doesn't have to be sent to you know multiple different places. You've got pharmacy on site so they don't have to go to different pharmacists. And, and, and I think that your point is, as I understand it, is you're trying to keep the patient away from multiple specialists, away from the emergency room, away from the hospital. And the way you do that is by really in giving them intensive attention and expert primary care. Is that, what did I miss there or did I capture that? Absolutely, and it's not just primary care in the traditional sense. That's why our mission says affordable VIP care. It's not VIP healthcare. We don't provide VIP healthcare because if you provide VIP healthcare, you will not be able to achieve the other part of our mission, which is to deliver better health. We don't think it's sufficient. See, because traditional healthcare and in, 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 in what we think about as a physician, we believe only accounts for about 20% of the patient's income. I mean, our patient's outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give you an example. You know, what we learned in medical school, the, the pills and procedures and all these things and the studies and randomized placebo-controlled double-blind, and, you know, all this stuff that we, that we learned in medical school, that addresses that 20% because what's the other 80%? The other 80% is genetics. Mm-hmm. It's what side of the railroad tracks are they, are, are they born on and do they live in? And that, in my mind, is about social determinants of care. And the last piece is about lifestyles and behaviors. And the only way that you're going to go after that other 80% is really by understanding and building, understanding the patient and building a relationship with them. So I'll give you an example. We don't just do the medical things. Mm-hmm. We have centers in which we're doing line dancing. Line dancing. I'm not kidding. We have the, 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 seniors, the seniors who come in and they do line dancing. Some of them, they, they like salsa. Right? So there's a whole socialization aspect of it. My father, with a master's degree, a PhD, a, you know, an MD, came to me the other day and says, Chris, I am not sure what has a larger, um, a larger impact to the patient. The fact that all of our board-certified amazing doctors with amazing backgrounds uh, who know amazing clinical care are, 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 are providing this great clinical service, or is it the fact that every time they come to our centers, we, we smile, we hug, we love on them, and, and, they, and they feel love, and they feel like they're cared for, and that people actually genuinely care about them, and, and, and they get the dose of that every month. I'm not sure. It's just like what I said to you, do you think stopping a patient for to convincing and influencing a patient to stop eating a bucket of chicken every night is going to have a larger influence than every possible thing that I could do in the cardiac, you know, uh, you know, that's called the cardiac almanac um, that I could offer this patient. And the answer is, you know what, if I could just stop her to get eating from a bucket of chicken every night, I'll think about the amount of impact that I'm going to have on that patient. So that's, that's that model um, of, of, of care that really goes after the outcome of the patient. And doctors will not do this unless you create the right atmosphere and the right system to hold them accountable for this. So, so Chris, how, uh, two questions. How, 
how does how do you and I completely agree and I think the literature clearly supports this now um, that the so-called social determinants of health um, you know your income your environment uh, food uh, not being alone actually I want to touch upon not being alone in a second with you uh, the loneliness issue but um, uh, you know having enough money social support transportation all those social determinants of health make up a significant whether it's 40 or 50 percent of the outcomes and then of course patient behavior which is is associated with that so how how is what you do and what you set up different than a typical again physician practice is is it is it that you're spending more time with folks is it that you have a multidisciplinary team that you know is talking and engaging what is it what's that that part of it that that you think allows you to impact the social determinants of health and patient behavior so, so there's there's the service side of things, right? People are always looking for the cookbook answer, right? Chris, you mean if I if I lower the panel sizes and I and, and I make give them more time and then I you know have all these additional services that we you know that lower the barriers to access you know for access to care and and I offer cooking classes and social classes and and people smile, well, will that be enough? The answer is that's not enough. See, what you have to do is you have to fundamentally change the mindset of the caregivers. Today in healthcare, starting in medical school, there is a, there's this big document floating around our organization um, that says, you know, all the things that I learned in medical school that were fundamentally wrong. And, 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 and it starts with the concept of, as physicians, we're trained to do tasks. It's tasks. We're, we're, not, we're not necessarily trained and held accountable for the, an end result and an outcome in which almost every other industry in America is. And that's a huge fundamental shift. It's that concept of accountability. Let me, let, let me you know, I, I, I participate in the orientation of every physician that joins us. Um, obviously, we carefully select for them, but the good news is most doctors actually go to medical school because they actually want to deliver a better outcome. They actually want to make a difference in, in the outcomes and in the, the health of the population. They do. So, but they don't have that opportunity. And, and, they, and, and they would love to feel the respect of being able to be held accountable for doing that. They would, they would love that. They're looking for that opportunity as opposed to being whipped for, 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 for tasks. Okay. And so, so let me, let, you know, let me, uh, this is a story that I give my doctors. I have young kids. I have four children. And what I realize is at the age of five or six, they all go out and play soccer or some kind of sport. And at the end of the season, if they lose every single game or they kick the ball in the wrong, in their own goal, at the end of the season, they always get a trophy, mm-hmm. right? We call that trophies for trying, trophies for trying. And then at some age, I don't know where it is, seven or eight years old, maybe nine, they, they, they you know, they have, Daddy, why don't I get a trophy in the season? I have to explain to them because the reason why is that you get a trophy for winning and get a good result and playing well and, 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 and accomplishing something. It's not enough to get a trophy for trying. You now get a trophy for results and for, and, and for doing something that, 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 that has a good result. And, and the problem is in healthcare, we didn't make that change. We didn't make that change. You get a trophy for trying. You don't get a trophy for results. And, and so, you know, so when, when we recruit doctors, we say, doctors, you come here because we're going to respect you. We're going to respect you so much in that, and we're going to, um, you know, that we are going to be an organization that says we are going to be responsible for end results, for results. And therefore, we don't, we don't want trophies for trying. We want you to, to, to have a different orientation. Zev, it takes about four to six months to actually deprogram that thinking. Mm-hmm. Think about that. There's an immediate gratification that comes from you pull a lever, you get a cookie. You pull a lever, you get a cookie. That, that's why you hear me say that. Yeah. Or you, or you show up and you get a trophy. And quite honestly, if you kick the ball in the wrong goal and you lose, you actually, you know, uh, you know, one of our board members said, you know, Chris, you know, as a surgeon, you get paid when you, you know, when you, when you amputate the wrong leg. And then you get paid again when you amputate the right one. Right. So you actually get two trophies for, for, for picking in the wrong goal. So uh, that, can't, that just doesn't work. So, so, so you know, yeah. how do you break that thinking? Yeah. It's very, it's not easy. You need special doctors who are willing to, to take on that charge. I, 
I love Chris. I love your, your, and I know you hire physicians who are exceptionally skilled and, and bright and talented and particularly in complex chronic care. And then you put them through your training program, or I've never heard you say that you, you have to deprogram them. And I, let me ask you about a couple of things. So quickly, you talk about just to, to make it clear, the, the cookie thing you're talking about, you do something, you get it, you get a reward. So what, as I understand what you're saying, it's our fee for service system is it doesn't matter the outcome. Um, if you do something to a patient, you get paid. That's how our system currently works in this fee for service. It's worked that way for decades. And what you're, what you're saying is you, you have to deprogram the doctors because they're not going to get paid just for, you know, ordering a test or doing an exam. Um, uh, uh, what, 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 or writing a note, they're going to get paid for what? What is the, what is the, the, what is the win? How do you measure winning in, in ChenMed? So there are multiple ways that we look at them, but the, but the key here is what is our what is in our population the greatest sign that you're improving the health of a patient, and and in my mind is you're substantially reducing the catastrophic events that lead to catastrophic hospitalizations. Um, you know, I, I'll give you an example. And heart failure is a very very personal thing to me. Uh, why? I, I noticed during even starting as early as training, I said, "Oh my goodness." The majority of these cases are fundamentally preventable. And you look at it, it's one of the leading causes of death and leading causes of hospitalizations in this country today. And, and, and you don't just get admitted for heart failure because when your heart doesn't work, everything else falls apart too as well. Your kidneys fail, your lungs fail, everything else fails, and you end up, uh, you end up having to, you know, there's this tremendous morbidity that comes from that. And, 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 and you're talking about a situation where the grand majority of them, um, we can argue, is it, 80, 90%, is it 75, 80, or 90% are, are preventable? Uh, there are folks that would say probably even more than that are preventable, but at the end of the day, it's a grand majority of them are preventable. And so wh wh why wouldn't we do something about that? And so that's a completely different orientation. You know, it, 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 one of the other things that we teach our docs, this is another story that we tell them when they join us. And by the way, you said with these special docs, they're special because they have a different mindset. It's not like we're looking for the diamonds in the rough. I believe that as high as you know, 50 to 60% of primary care doctors out there would thrive in an environment like this. It might even be more, okay? If they just don't have that opportunity. People don't wanna take that risk on them. They don't wanna invest on them because it takes a lot of investment to actually pivot that thinking. But here's what I challenge them. And when I tell them, I said, you know, you haven't been trained to deliver superior outcomes and nor is any of your professors. They always give me this look like, no, Chris, that cannot be. That just cannot be. And I said, well, let's think about that. The next time you go to take your CME course and there's some, some really famous attending up there on stage quoting studies, which many of which taught me okay, when I was in Boston, and they're just such great doctors. You should raise your hand and say, hey, doctor, I love, I love how you're, uh, you're explaining how to deliver better care and better health. Have you yourself ever been accountable for fundamentally reducing catastrophic admissions that you know are preventable? I mean, and, what, and, and have that, has that ever been tied to either A, your compensation, or B, how you're perceived by your peers? And the answer is, they'll, they'll tell you no, but I can quote all these studies of what should and could happen. And I said, that, those are studies. That's why they call that academic. There's studies, and then there's what happens in reality, right? And you and I both know that, you know, there's these, you know, there are these perfectly controlled environments, and then there's reality. What happens in reality when you are held accountable for that? And then, and so, so I, I tell my, I tell my, my doctors, do you want to learn how to be an NFL quarterback? from Tom Brady, who's playing quarterback in an NFL game, or do you want the person who says, well, according to studies and according to what I've seen and, and you know, by studying films, this is what it takes. And so that's kind of the, the biggest pivot there. At the end of the day, you're going to be held accountable for it. You're going to have to show up on Sunday and throw touchdowns. And, 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 and people are going to know. So here's the, here's the key about accountability as well. Besides, you know, compensation, besides, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, the, and this is what, you know, not besides, but this is what I mean by your peers. Every patient mm -hmm. that has a, a, you know, a, a medical admission to the hospital 
presents is presented to their peers. Hmm. Once or twice a week, we will have our physician. So if your mom, Zev, is one of our patients, and she goes in the hospital with heart failure or you know any other, any other mission, she falls and trips and breaks her hip. Your doctor, her your mother's doctor, will stand up in front of their peers and will present wow. what happened, and they will all solve together and think about whether or not this was preventable. That, I mean, that is talk about accountability, and and, and, and doctors mm-hmm. look forward to that. That's that's really uh, that's just astounding. So you're. You're you're not just talking about the issue of prevention. You're saying this we are we are holding you. This is how you win here at ChenMed. We are holding you as a physician uh, accountable for prevention, and it's going to be measured in this way. And if you can't do it, if something happens, we're going to have you explain that to your colleagues on a regular basis. And together, you're going to try to figure out was how, how do we how do we get back on track? How do we how do we, how would we have prevented that? admission or that ED visit is that that's astounding well you know it's interesting um you know there are you know as you read the different publications that we have where you know a lot of people say oh this you, you may be one of the best primary care pro you know systems in the, in, in the country or some sort of the world and we say no 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 <laughs> we believe we've only figured out about 20 percent of the answer mm-hmm. we t- I tell my doctors that I said you know we have so much more to learn um because People are just starting to think about how to drive towards better results, and and, and, and the reason why that you know we're realizing that, that that we may not be we as a as a system may not be making more progress than we should. Here's a perfect example. You know, if you read the, if you just look at the latest commercial data, you'll notice that that, that actually utilization potentially is starting to creep down a little bit, right? In, in many different areas, but then why is cost going up? No. It doesn't make any sense. Think of how many industries do you know? You know, you go out and you buy a flat screen TV. You know, think, think about what you could get today versus what you're able to get. You know, ten years ago. Look at your phone that you have in your hand. You have a more powerful device in your hand than you used to have on your desktop. You know that you pay five thousand dollars for. But 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 in this industry, we're not getting better. We're not increasing value. Um, and so, you know, we are actually trying to counteract that. That's very, very difficult. When we're pulling in doctors um, from from different places, we actually say, you know, actually making care more expensive and getting less for it is uh, is actually not right. And, 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 and trying to and they realize that. But then getting them to practice that way, it's not just, you know, get, you know telling them a compelling story. You have to build the right environment. To get doctors to think that way. So, so Chris, let me. I just want to touch upon uh, two or three major points that I, I, I think are are really, really important. And again, I've I've spoken to you many, many times, and and so I just want to I just want to sort of share this with our listeners as well. What I didn't understand, actually, I don't know that I fully understood, is you know, you, you like you said, you have all these differences uh, in the way you run your practice than a typical primary care practice, whether it's independent or uh, or in a large uh, integrated delivery network. You, 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 but that's that is almost a sequelae. That's almost kind of a follow to what seems to me your fundamental difference or inflection from the way most everyone else practices primary care or medicine in general, which is you, your, your, your underlying um, approach. And and again, I'm I'm saying this out loud, but I want you to, I want you to, to, to correct me. It seems to me you've started with a fundamental idea that it's not clinical technical care. It is it is it is healthcare. And and I've heard actually you remind me of a conversation, an interview I had with Dr. Richard Barron, who's the CEO of the American Board of Internal Medicine, who's a practicing um, uh, physician internist himself, generalist in Philadelphia, and he's he he really sort was was saying to me the same thing. This idea that we've 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 be, we've started to think of physicians when you put them into these 10 minute or 15 minute slots as just kind of doing a technical thing um, but that's not what healthcare is about particularly primary care it is really about about the care of the person and and as as the science and, and literature is now telling us the vast majority of clinical outcomes of health outcomes have to do not with the clinical technical care but with the care of the person and so you've you've literally built your the foundation of your practice is based on that fundamental principle. And so all the details 
of how you differentiate yourself and how you practice differently and deliver care differently emerges from that one fundamental concept, which is radically different than the way everyone else delivers care. And, and so I just wanted to check in with you. Am I, cause I don't know that I really, really understood that until this, this moment. So tell me, am I capturing part of what you're saying or tell me? Uh, it, it, not just capturing a part. I, mean, you, you, I think you, you, you got it. And the thing is that concept is very natural to, to us as people. You know, if you try to deliver amazing health care, you will not be able to achieve better health. That's what we say in general. That's why our mission is affordable VIP, VIP care. If you go after the 20%, you will not get the results that you want. It, it's not mm. sufficient. You must do more. And, and, and the more does not mean more in terms of more testing and more medications. Is you must take a broader view because, again, this comes back to this concept. Do you want me to push five more drugs onto a patient or do you want me to act, figure out how to get them to stop eating a bucket of chicken every night? That, that is it. The reason why I keep bringing up that story is because that's a personal story of mine. I had a patient who might do that. I mean, think about how, long, how much longer you, you have them live. You know, do you, you know, with my dad, with all that, you know, education comes to me and he's a scientist and he says, Chris, I'm not sure what has a bigger impact. You know, all the drugs and all the, you know, all the procedures that you can do or the fact that you can have an old, poor and 16 year old, you know, maybe get off the couch and come see us and, and, and give them a sense of belonging and that somebody cares about them. There's, there, there's a power there and you won't get there. You know, you won't get there without a relationship. I mean, we are relational beings. And that is something that's fundamentally getting lost. Now the question is, who's going to lead that? Who's going to lead that? And that is the question. And, and so, you know, we challenge our doctors and we say, doctors, if, if, you, if you want to be a piece of the answer, then you're welcome to be a piece of the answer. But if you want, but then if you want to be accountable, well, excuse me, if you want to actually lead that, you're going to need to be accountable for the end result. And therefore, you're going to have to learn all these things that you did not learn in medical school. For example, you're going to have to learn how to serve a patient from what the patient wants, not what you think the patient wants. Mm. And patients, the doctors go, what, what, what do you mean? You're going to have to have a consumer orientation. Meet them at their place of need, not them meet you at your place of need. Well, but, but, but Chris, we didn't learn that in medical school. Don't worry. If you have the right mindset, you're super smart, you know, you got an A in organic chemistry, you can learn this, right? So that's just one example. Well, what about lifestyles and behaviors? You know, we, uh, how many nutrition classes did you, did you take? I mean, how, how do you, what's your diet like, doctor? And they go, but we didn't learn that either. And we go, that's okay. You know, um, it's, you know, we, if you can learn biochemistry, you can learn how to eat the right foods, mm. right? And so we do that as an organization. We, we as a group of physicians are learning what consumers really want. We as an organization are learning what, what, what are the lifestyle challenges? What are the, the, the behavioral challenges? Well, you know, what are the, the barriers to care that these social determinants uh, create? So, so that's as a group of physicians what we have decided to do. And, and, and then we have these amazing team. Right. And, and we have this amazing team that comes around these physicians and helps them through that, um, even though they're not the smartest people. Um, or the most knowledgeable. They may be the smartest, but they may not be the most knowledgeable. Let's call it that. Who, who, uh, who's on the team with the doctor? Who supports the physician and works with the physician as part of this team to take care of the patient? Right. So, so the core team of the physician is they have um, uh, called, someone called a care promoter. Um, we have this huge document running around that says, why is a care promoter not a nurse, you know, not a medical assistant, not a physician assistant? How is a care, care promoter different? And, 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 and then there's a care coordinator and a care facilitator. And that's the, the, the core team. And, and we've created all these new roles because, quite frankly, you know, everybody else in, in healthcare, they're task-based. And, 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 and having task-based individuals in an environment where you're accountable for, for health doesn't work. So we've had to create these new, these new rules. And then that team sits in an environment where they are, they are, uh, you know, they are served and they are cared for by great, you know, um, you know, leaders, um, 
uh, uh, who, by the way, can help them think about not just about the health care, not just about the care, but of course, remember, we're at full risk. And what I mean by global full risk is, is we take full upside and downside for all the hospitalizations and, and you know, all the specialty care and the, and, the, and the pharmacy care and all and pharma care and everything else, specialty drugs, you need it. So you need someone to help think through that, and it just takes a lot of resource to help people think through that. So Chris, so Chris, this is this is so great again. I'm so uh, excited again, once again, inspired talking to you. I'm going to come to the payment uh, in a moment because I I think you know people are probably wondering, you know, how do you get paid for this? Because it is it is different. But I, I just want to touch upon two things which are really really important here that um, are are you know come out of your fundamental inflection of of really reprogramming, deprogramming the physician and the team, and reprogramming them um, and restructuring them and reorganizing organizing them to deliver care of the person as opposed to really just being limited to clinical care and technical care. The two, the two important points I want to I want to speak to are one has to do with the patient and one has to do with the physician. So um, let, let, let me actually jump to the physician first. Uh, so we know that burnout amongst physicians is at over 50% now. Literally one out of every two doctors experiences burnout. That is demoralization, a sense of depersonalization, depression, severe emotional, emotional exhaustion. It is, and it's getting worse. And it is far above any other industry, any other professional group. Um, it is, it is, I don't know how to say it any other way than it, it is sad, it is a tragedy, and it's a crisis, and it has tremendous implications, not just for the physicians uh, and other providers, nurses as well, and PAs, not only for them and their families, but it has tremendous implications for uh, for the patients in terms of care, for their own productivity, for their own access. I mean, so if you have a physician who's burnt out, they're not going to be able to be present and really thinking about you and taking care of you and all that. So, So tremendous burnout. And it seems to me that you know, again, when you're a physician, and, and most of us went into this for, you know, very similar reasons, um, you know, when you get put on the treadmill, uh, the technical treadmill, and you're just churning, and you've denuded the the, the, the care of the patient, uh, you know, to the point that it's denuded across the country, um, you know, you're going to get burnout. Um, and I don't think all the, you know, all the meditation in the world is going to reverse that. Um, what it seems to me, what you've done is you've, you've, significantly, you know, kind of change the clinical practice. And I, I have to think, and I want to ask you this question, what's your take on this issue of burnout? How are you, do you see burnout amongst your physicians? Because I can imagine people saying, oh, you're taking care of the sick and, 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 and you, your doctors must burn out after a year or two. What, what is your experience with that? And what do you think about what I was saying about burnout? So first of all, the, um, you know, our, our turnover rate for, um, for physicians, um, uh, it, it is actually extremely low. So I'll just, I'll just say that. And, and, and let, me, let me just ex- explain why I think that is. Uh, first of all, I believe that healthcare is hard. It is very difficult. You are taking on the burden of some of the most difficult times in people's lives. When, you, when, when, when your health is failing or not working, and, and then you go to somebody who, who, who you want to unload that burden onto. If you are receiving that burden, burden it is very hard. It's even harder if ultimately you are now also receiving that burden, but not only you're being held accountable for actually delivering that result. So actually what we do, our, what we ask for our physicians is far more difficult, far more difficult than what a, what I call a task-based physician does. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, fee for services tasks. Can you go and can you pull this lever 20 times? For what reason? Because I asked you to do it and I'm going to pay you to do it. And that's hard work. And then we say, no, 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 we want you to deliver outcome. But here's the key. People perish without purpose. People perish without purpose. It, it, we, the job is hard. Healthcare is so hard. But if, if there's no purpose and they don't see, they don't have, they're not, they don't have the dignity and the respect of being able to 
be accountable for outcomes, and then have the resources and the training and the support to deliver it. Why in the world are they doing it? Who wants to go to work every day and just order tests and not any idea if it benefits the patient or not and not be accountable for it? That's a lack of respect and dignity. I mean, that's the reason why they're burning out because they don't think what they do really matters or they're not sure. But if I could show you and say, doctor, you are doing an amazing job. Let me show you the impact. Let me show you how many lives you save. Let me show you your hospitalization rates. Let me show you how much healthier your population is. You're getting letters that are just coming in in droves of, of how, you, how you care about individual patients and from family members as well. Now you have a purpose. You understand what you're trying to do. And then as an organization, we give doctors that dignity and that respect to actually, number one, hold them accountable for outcomes because they are the most equipped to do so and then give them the training and the resources to do it and the time to do it. Anything else is, in my mind, is disrespectful. Mm. It is, it is, it's, it's just humiliating. But you come in every day and we're just going to, we're going to whip you every single day to do something that you're not sure if it actually makes a difference or not. That, that's hard. Yeah. That's so well said. Thank you uh, for that lesson. And I, I love that phrase. Uh, you, you know, we perish without purpose. And I think that's actually what's happening to providers uh, across the country and, and perhaps across the globe. And uh, clearly what you're doing is reestablishing that purpose. That's the undergirding of everything I think it sounds like you're doing. The one other factor, now let's turn to the patient that, you know, I think is a really um core consequence of what you're doing and how you set up your your practice of care has to do with this issue of loneliness. So I recently, I, I actually had never really come across this this literature on loneliness. And apparently our, our ex-surgeon general, uh, Vivek Murthy, um, has made this his campaign. So apparently loneliness, he, he and others have cited, and there's a literature on this, loneliness is one of the uh, most insidious chronic uh, diseases of our time. When people live alone, uh, they don't do as well, and um, and so uh, and, and it leads to physical problems, emotional problems, uh, escalates costs, um, uh, and, and, and utilization of healthcare services, which are ultimately not the answer because the problem is this issue alone, living alone, and 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 again, I don't have these stats in my in my uh, top of my tip of my tongue, but apparently uh, more and more people are living alone, more and more people are isolated. We see this particularly as well in the elderly. Um, and we know from the literature that if you're an older person and you live alone uh, or you don't have uh, lots of social supports, you are going to do worse across the board. And so it seems to me that fundamental to your approach, and I don't know if you, you this was intentional or purposeful or just as part of your larger picture, that, that what you're trying to do is attack um, and address rather um, and solve one of the fundamental uh, uh, medical chronic issues of our time, which is this issue of loneliness. So just want to let you respond to that. You know, Zev, this is uh, really personal because it actually gets even down to my, my worldview. Um, uh, people, people live for love. And I don't mean love in the sense of like a romantic love, but, you know, we as humans, uh, we, we, we just, we live for love. And at the end of the day, it, you know, I have this patient of mine. I actually just saw her this week and she came into me and she said, you know, I'm just, how are you doing? I asked. And she says, I'm just, oh, you mean my heart or my this? I said, no, how are you doing? I'm just so lonely. I'm just so lonely. And, 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 and I said, oh, my goodness, this is a good opportunity to actually talk to her. Right? Do you know what she lives for? Every time she comes in and sees me, I take out my phone and I show her pictures of my children. And we talk about how they're growing up and we talk about how with, you know, about her, her raising her children and all those things. And you know what? That, 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 so someone who cares is just is so critical. You know, is that, I think there are, like, and I don't know the details of this, but I, I do know that there are some rules with, like, like people in prison. You know, and, and it, it, there are some rules, and, like, it's considered cruel and unusual punishment to put people in solitary confinement. 
for a, a, for a period of time that is beyond what is acceptable. It's cruel and unusual. And the answer is our seniors today, they, they are literally living in solitary confinement. They, they, they have nowhere to go. They, they, may, uh, they may not have access to transportation. They may not be able to physically walk. Imagine spending the last, you know, you know, three, four, whatever years, five years of your life in your home and you can't leave because you don't have the transportation or you're afraid to go out because it's unsafe or you can't physically get out. That is, that could, could there be anything worse? And so it's not a surprising fact that faced with that, why, why do they feel like they need to continue to live on? Their health will degrade. And I could just give them a pill and say, hey, take a pill that will make you feel good about the fact that you don't see anybody and you're trapped in your home other than when you come and see us. And you should feel good about that. And the answer is, no, you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. So so this is, you know, you're absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. Loneliness is a killer because people live for love. So, you know, I brought up the line dancing before. You know, coming in and even learning how to land dance in a, in a social environment, coming to, uh, you know, uh, salsa, you know, we, we, you know, we celebrate their birthdays. Why? Because many of our patients, nobody does. You, you go through the majority of your life where somebody celebrates your birthday and at some point it stops and everybody forgets what it is and they don't even care. So, well, then why, you know, nobody cares about me and nobody loves me. And, and what's the reason I should be alive? And if, I, and if there's no reason I should be alive, why should I care about my health? That, 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 that's how it happens. So we've got to figure out how to break that. We've got to figure out how to break that. And the good news is, gosh, in, as people in this amazing country that was founded on these amazing values, we, we, feel, a, we feel a compulsion and, and we agonize over what to do when these things happen. And that's, in my mind, you know, is, is this mixture of social justice and, and as human beings, what we do. That's why our, our values in our company are love, accountability, and passion. And I'm hoping that what I've just described to you and what we're trying to create actually describes love, describes accountability, and describes a strong passion to really take care of the old, the poor, and the sick um, in America today. Chris, so, so, so last question here. Uh, what was the best piece of advice you were ever given? <laughs> you know, I, 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 this was from my dad, which is right. You, you go after the right things and, you know, the, the, the dollars will come. And, um, you know, sometimes we can get a little cynical here, right? And we can, uh, and we can say, no, it doesn't work out that way. But at least what we've seen in, in, in our business and, and what we've done, um, you know, we created this model before taking risk was really popular. Um, we, we were actually in these neighborhoods before people realized there was such a need. Um, you know, and so uh, that, that would be um, the advice. The other thing is... <clears throat> The other bit of advice is, you know, purpose is really critical here. Um, if you're going to try and do something hard, it has to be for a really good reason. Right. <laughs> and, and healthcare is hard. Um, healthcare is hard. No, that's that's really two great pieces of advice. Thank you for sharing that. So, so I just want to, I'm going to wrap it up here, Chris, and just, you know, kind of try to sum up a couple of things here that I've heard from you. First of all, again, I, I, you know, my wish for the healthcare system, if I could do, uh, you know, something off of this conversation, I would say that I think we need to take what you've done. Um, I think the the idea of deprogramming the system and then reprogramming it um, and and supporting it with the appropriate payment uh, and, and appropriate incentives is what we need to do. But clearly, as you said, it's not just the incentives. It's uh, we're going to have to really turn the ship around and reprogram how we think and how we structure. I would wish that we could do that. Um, I'd love to take your your deprogramming and reprogramming and, and, and extend it to uh, to the rest of the system. I also uh, think your 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 three pillars, uh, boy, if we could make that the pillars of our healthcare system, love, accountability and passion, uh, that alone uh, would be huge. Um, I, I love your two phrases here that uh, you shared, which is. People perish without purpose, and people live for love. 
And um, again, what, what I what I really respect and admire about what you're doing is that lots of people say those words, but very very few people make them actually uh, operational. And I think that's your secret sauce is you've taken this tremendous mission and this tremendous uh, purpose and you've actually translated it into day-to-day care. And, um, and so I think that's another lesson that we could learn from, from you and from your organization. And, um, and again, uh, you know, as always, it is an inc- such an incredible privilege to uh, have the opportunity to chat with you this way. I, I know you are so busy and so consumed day-to-day with your work. And so for you to take this time is just, uh, I, I'm so grateful uh, for it. And um, and the final thing I'll say, and I say this every time, Chris, on this on this uh, program, this podcast series, is um, I have to turn to our listeners because uh, these are people out there who, just like yourself, are, are either taking care of patients, uh, taking care of people, or supporting those that are taking care of people. And as you said, it is incredibly hard work. Um, and, um, and I just want to take my hat off to them. And, um, and I am doing this uh, in purpose and, and in support of, of those folks. So, so I just want to say thank you to the listeners, all of you, for participating in this conversation and this dialogue. And then finally, again, um, if you can, please email me and uh, let me know what kind of value you're uh, getting out of this podcast. Chris, any, any, any final word? You know, I, I, um, one last quote, um, and this is from one of my other board members who said, you know, you, you, nobody creates a, a vision for the naysayers. And so, you know, there, and, and anything that we're trying to do in terms of making significant progress, there's always naysayers. Um, just have the courage to move on. Well, I, I think you uh, I think you are courageous. I think your family is courageous. I think your organization is courageous. And um, I hope that some of that has rubbed off uh, on myself and our listeners today. So, Chris, thank you, folks. Thank you. And until next time, be well.